Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Good morning, my friend. Hope you're doing well. It's Saturday, self-brain surgery Saturday here on the Dr. Lee Warren podcast. And what day is it? It's the 22nd day of July. I'm sitting here early in the morning. It's about 6 a.m. and the sun's starting to come up out over the river. And I hope that you have a Sabbath day. I hope you get to take some rest. And if not, if you're working today, then I hope you get a chance to spend some time with your family and friends and maybe relax a little bit too. Don't forget, we're supposed to recreate, which my dad always says is to recreate yourself. And that's why God gave us the notion of resting and and resetting things and it turns out from a neuroscience perspective that's true that your brain is not designed your body's not designed to go all the time you need plenty of sleep and that's funny for me to say because i get up so early in the morning but i go to bed early too but you do need you need that time friend rest and recover and reset and let the let the holy spirit do what he does, rebuild and reframe and reset all those neurons in your brain every day. And I hope you're getting after it today, but also hope that you take care of yourself. Okay. We are in the last part of the first week of hope is the first doses life came out on Tuesday. If you don't have your copy yet, I hope you check it out because this book, I'm telling you, this book is the, it's the treatment plan for how you can get going. We're starting to see some reviews pop up on Amazon and Goodreads and other places, and people seem to be resonating with the message. And this coming week was the original launch week for the book. A lot of the big media things, the, the national things, the big things were actually scheduled for next week. So we should see a lot more people starting to get their hands on it. We're excited next Saturday. If you're in the North Platte or in the central Nebraska area, we're going to do a book signing at Bible Supply Store here at North Platte. They have been such great supporters of the my previous books and the writings and the folks over there. Just incredible, incredible people, Craig and Nancy and their daughter, Alyssa, who runs the place. And, and just we're so grateful for all your support. But listen, if you're in North Platte or in the surrounding area and you want to come by Bible Supplies Room, I think it's 10 to 2. Um, you can check their website for that. But we'll be signing books and taking some pictures and shaking hands and getting to know y'all a little bit better. So listen. I'm recording the video for this. I released the video of the, to the paid subscribers of an episode I did a few days ago, and I'm recording the video, and I'm going to start doing this. Uh, it's early in the morning. The light's not very good, but Charles Malone, a great supporter and listener, writes in uh, frequently. Great story with Charles of faith and, and 
He's had some massive things, too. So, Charles, if you're listening this morning, shout out to you. But he wrote in and he said, hey, I love to see the video because we can connect with you and see what you're feeling when you talk. And and that eye-to-eye contact is what my dad's always talked about when he did that, hey, look in my eyes thing. And so I'm trying to get more comfortable on video. I've always been comfortable with interviews when I'm talking to somebody else. But just looking in the camera, it's never been something super comfortable for me. But you know what? I'm trying to provide content across as many platforms as possible so that we can connect with each other and whatever works best for you is good because there is a treatment plan to help you change your mind and change your life as Lisa just got through telling us and we all get to start today. So today is Self-Brain Surgery Saturday and I just want to talk about a few things. Before we get started, I'm wearing the Hope Dealer hat. You see that? Hope Dealer? If you're not watching the video, you can get t-shirts and hats from that have some of the messages from Hope is the First Dose and you start today and you can't change your life until you change your mind and, and self-brain surgeon and it's not brain surgery and all these little things that we say all the time. Our good friend Heather Carson in Auburn has created a whole bunch of merchandise. There's coffee cups and journals and all that kind of stuff. I think there might even be a tote bag, like a beach bag and some other things that you can get on there and a little bit expensive relative to some of the cheaper things that you can find online, but the reason for that is that they're making everything to order, and they're printing them right there in Auburn, Alabama. If you want to wear some gear around Hope is the First Dose or around the podcast or around some of these ideas, if, you, if there's a phrase or a slogan that resonates with you, then we've made that available to you. My website, wlewarnmd.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E, and you can get yourself a Hope dealer or a self-brain surgeon or or it's not brain surgery, you start today. Hope is the first dose, t-shirt, coffee cup, all that jazz. Anyway, back to the show. I'm just chewing on one little idea today. But I also thought since we're looking at the video, at least the paid subscribers will see this. There's a couple things I want to share with you behind the scenes stuff. But since it's early in the morning, we're having coffee. I've got my Yeti coffee mug. I should get sponsored by Yeti. Hey, Yeti, if you're listening, I drink out of your cup every day. My water glass right here on the counter is Yeti. Support the Dr. Lee Warren podcast. Come on. <laughs> That's a joke, obviously. We don't have commercials on the Dr. Lee Warren podcast. Why don't we have commercials? At least for right now, as we grow bigger, there may come a time when we have a partnership with, with somebody that makes sense. But at least for right now, the few times I've dealt with advertisers, the the downside is it comes with the cost of them wanting to have some influence on your content, either placing things on the show or wanting to influence what the show's about. And and I like the idea that you and I, friend, can talk about whatever we want to. And I've never had this idea that you, know, you hear a lot of podcasts or a lot of, I guess they call them influencers. <laughs> I've never been real comfortable with that term either. But you hear a lot of people say, hey guys, or hey y'all, when they start their episodes. And, and I've always tried to make it feel it's just you and me I'm, I'm not talking to everybody this message isn't for everybody it's just we're, we're having a intimate conversation between two friends about stuff in life that's serious or faith and doubt and the things we think we know and and hope and neuroscience and loss and grief and pain and how we put our lives back together after we have these massive things happen and you know what that's not for everybody a lot of a lot of podcasts are about movies or sports or entertainment or other things, and that's great. But this show, we're here to get deep and figure out how our brains are designed and figure out how 
we, what we can do to try to make it feel better when life hurts. And, and anyway, I'm just talking to you. It's Saturday morning, self-brain surgery Saturday, and we're going to talk about one little idea, okay? One little idea. And the idea today has to do with what we do when we're holding on too tightly to the way things have always been. I want to give you one more little behind-the-scenes thing, though. <clears throat> if you've got the book, or not the audio book, but if you have the physical book or the Kindle version in the back, there's a few things. This is cool. There's a few little things in the back that are neat. First of all, we have an ad in the back for I've Seen the Interview, which I thought was really cool of the publisher to put in there. And then there's a page about the podcast back there, so new people can find the podcast more easily. But if you get back to... The last page, so after page 272, the next page after that, there's a photo of your friend, the, the brain surgeon. But Penguin Random House let me slip this in there. as a, I, I did it originally as a joke. I sent Lisa said, uh, hey, you ought to make Susan Jaden, my editor, you ought to give her a smile and send her this picture of you and the dogs. And she had emailed, Susan had emailed and said, hey, we need a high-resolution photo of you for the back of the book and the, the one we normally use is the the one of me and scrubs that's the one we've been using at clint saunders photography back in casper took and I'm grateful clint if you're listening grateful for that picture that you took that's still going strong but lisa for christmas last year gave me this picture over my left shoulder back there there's a picture i'm going to move the camera just a little bit there it is. It's me and Harvey and Lewis, and we're wearing these crazy costumes. And we weren't really wearing them. Lisa, just there's a website you can upload pictures, and they'll turn them into these crazy things. And so she gave me that frame for Christmas last year as a joke. When Susan asked for the author picture, I sent it to her, and lo and behold, Penguin Random House approved it. And this is in the book, y'all. That's the author photograph there with me and Harvey and Lewis. And originally, when I sent her the bio, I sent Dr. Lee Warren, and in parentheses, I put center, like to identify that I was the one, not Harvey or Lewis, that it was me in the middle. <laughs> Somebody edited that out, but here's the bio. W. Lee Warren, MD, is a practicing neurosurgeon and the award-winning author of A Peak Under the Hood, No Place to Hide, and I've Seen the Interview. He talks to thousands of his closest friends daily about faith, doubt, and neuroscience on the Dr. Lee Warren podcast and at his website. His wife, Lisa, is way out of his league, and his four grandkids have him completely wrapped around their little fingers. He lives on the banks of the North Platte River in Nebraska with Lisa, his father-in-law, and sidekick Dennis, and two overprivileged dogs, Harvey and Lewis. They let that slip in, and I'm so glad. It just puts a little bit of humor. I tried really hard. This is a heavy book, right? Because it's talking about massive things. It's talking about the big things that we go through in life, and they are massive, and they're hard. So I wrote Several places throughout the book, I weaved in a little bit of humor just to try to lift the mood a little bit. And I did that author photo that way. I thought it was humorous, and I thought it might leave you with a little bit of lift if you get to that page of the book and you read that. And I'm so glad and I'm so grateful that they left it in there because the book does need a little bit of levity. It needs a little bit of lightning, and at the end, it, it gives you that. So anyway, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. And we are going to do, for the paid subscribers, we're going to do a book club. I'm going to give you about two weeks to read. Those of you who have read it by then, we're going to do a Zoom with as many of you as want to get on. And we'll just, you can ask questions and we'll just chat about 
faith and doubt and hope and all these things. And we'll talk about things that you may have learned or questions you may have from the book or the treatment plan. And I'd like to start building kind of a relationship with you. I'm going to take this hat off. I'd like to start building a relationship where we start gathering data from what happens if you really engage with self-brain surgery. If you really commit to the idea of renewing your mind, transforming your mind, and changing your mind, what's going to happen? How's it going to change our lives? Because the next book, it's funny to say I'm already working on another book, but that's how it works. Like, It takes so long, friend, for a book to get from a manuscript to the product in your hands that by the time it comes out, if you haven't already started working on the next book, then there'll be a two or three or four year gap in there. And that's what's happened as as you switch from being a guy who wrote a book, my first book way back in the day, called out, which turned into No Place to Hide because of Philip Yancey's kindness to me. You've heard that story before. But that book really was, I, I did not have an intention of becoming an author of books. That book was written out of therapy for myself, unpacking all that stuff. And simultaneously, I was chewing on this big issue that turned into I've seen the end of you. And I I didn't realize at the time that I was going to end up writing a bunch of books. But what's happened is I've learned that's the best way to figure myself out. And so you might find it on the riverbank fishing or you might find it doing something else that you love to do or in conversation or in small groups. You might find that avenue, that outlet to understand what you're thinking and feeling and communicate it. But for me, it takes years, and maybe I'm just not very smart, but it takes me a long time to to gnaw on something enough to figure it out. And I've found, like my friend Philip Yancey says, I just grab a hatchet and start hacking my way through it and putting words on pages. Then eventually I start understanding it. And what inevitably happens is I inevitably figure a lot of things out about a particular topic after the manuscript has been sold and is in print. And that has generally led me to a pile of stuff that's going to turn into the next book. And so that's what we're doing. The next book is not memoir. This book, if you read Hope is the First Dose, some people are calling it memoir. It's And some people are calling it self-help. And it's really a blend because it does start with story. I mean, the, the whole book has stories in it. There's a lot of narrative, and people are saying it reads like a novel. That was intentional, but that book has to give you the story of what happened with Mitch and what it felt like for us so that we can then build a treatment plan around how to recover from grief. I had to take you to where we were so you could feel it and then understand how to develop a plan to find your way back to hope again. That's that's what we did with Hope is the First Dose. And so... The next book, though, I'm going to pivot, and it's going to be pure self-help. Now, I don't really like the term self-help. I like personal development best because we all need to be developing, forming ourselves spiritually and and every other way, forming ourselves into something better, transforming our lives by the renewing of our minds, as Romans 12, 2 says. But the next book is going to be self-brain surgery, and it's going to be the ins and outs of how we train ourselves go through a residency program with me and I'll teach you how to be a good self-brain surgeon. And then we're going to get into the practice of it because medicine, even medicine that you apply to yourself, is a lifelong practice. You never become a perfect 
surgeon. You never become a perfect physician, just like you never become perfect at anything else. Even Michael Jordan missed shots from time to time, the greatest basketball player that's ever lived. Yes, he's better than LeBron James. We don't even have to debate that. It just is. Michael Jordan's better than any other basketball player. Sorry. (laughs) It's my opinion. I don't even like basketball. But that guy was amazing. Anyway, the point is, you practice your whole life to be better at something than you are and to continue to refine and shape yourself into this better version. And as Christians, we also understand that we have co-pilot we have a i don't like that phrase either but the holy spirit is inside of us and he helps us and he guides us and he gives us instruction and direction if we learn to listen for his voice he helps us and we get better and that's how we can navigate the hard parts of life is he's with us he came here so that we could have abundant lives and he's as jesus said in john he's he reminds us of things that are true and that's why it's always so important to put that true stuff in you to put it in there and and work on it and gnaw on it and chew on it and know what the Word says and don't let people tell you what the Bible says. Read it for yourself. Know and get to know it. And if you're not a spiritual person, it's okay. We, We talk a lot about spiritual things here on the show, but I want you to know that there is a path to understanding how to properly operate your own brain in a way that helps you to navigate your life better. There's a path. And I call it self-brain surgery. You can call it whatever you want, personal development or self-help or whatever. But the fact is with neuroscience, we know crystal clear now that how you think changes how your brain works. And today I want to give you just one little idea, self-brain surgery. And it's going to be like a brain transplant, okay? The world right now, friend, is on fire with people trying to figure out what makes them happy. And we have a devastating problem in our society right now where everybody thinks that, in fact, think about Natasha Crane's book, Faithfully Different. We had her on the show a while back. And if you haven't read that, Faithfully Different by Natasha Crane, it'll give you a great grasp of the secular worldview compared to the Christian worldview and why they're so different and why it's so important to maintain yourself in a Christian worldview. But the the point that she brings out in the secular society that we're in is exactly right. Feelings are the ultimate guides that you're supposed to follow your feelings. That's what the secular worldview says. Happiness is the ultimate goal. And judging other people is the ultimate sin. And God is the ultimate guess. And so if you take those four pillars of the secular worldview, then you'll see if you think about it clearly when you read the news or watch Instagram or look on TV or talk to your friends or see what kids are experiencing in school, you'll see it clearly like People are saying things like, follow your heart. The Bible says, don't trust your heart. Your heart is wicked. It doesn't lead you in the right way. It doesn't tell you the truth. You shouldn't follow your heart. You should control yourself. You should take captive every thought. And they say, happiness is the ultimate goal. No, it's not. Let me tell you something. There's a scripture. Jesus said it plainly, Luke nine twenty three. If anyone, anyone, including you, including me, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says it. We're supposed to deny ourselves. We're not supposed to follow every whim and every fancy that pops into our head. We're supposed to want something higher than that. If you want to be happy, if Jesus says, I came here in this hard world, John 16, 33, it's going to be hard. But in John 10, 10, he says, I came here so that you could have life and have it abundantly. 
That's why he came. So then he turns around and says, if you want what I have, if you want this abundant life, you have to deny the base impulses of your natural self. Because the problem with the secular worldview, friend, is that it teaches this idea, this Freudian post-Christian idea that people are basically good. And that all we need to do is build better societies and better governments and better laws and route, you know, root out everybody that doesn't agree with us and we can have a better society. That's what the secular worldview says. And it sounds great. Yeah, let's all try to be better. But the truth is, Jesus says, you will never be better until you start trying to be more like me. You will never be the best version of a human until you start trying to be more like me. If you want the abundance that I came here to give you in this hard world, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross, and sometimes it hurts. And I'm just here to tell you here on Self Brain Surgery Saturday that that's a mind shift that you can make that will help you get out of this secular worldview and help you start finding things that actually do make you happy because nothing else will. And you can see it. People are changing their bodies. They're changing their identities. They're changing their worldviews. They're changing their religion. They're leaving the church. They're, they're buying things. They're sleeping with people. They're doing all kinds of things, striving so hard to try to find something that fills up the emptiness inside them. And it's just not working. Dr. Phil always says, how's that working for you? Look at how you're living your life. How's it working for you? And I just want to say, if your life, friend, isn't working, there's a treatment plan. If you've been through some massive things that hurt, there is a plan. There is a path. There's a way to become a hope dealer again in your life, to be a person that helps other people find that way back. And I put it some of it in my book, Hope is the First Dose. My book specifically is talking mostly about recovering from these massive hard things. But one of the hard things that we have to recover from is when we beat our heads against the wall for an entire lifetime chasing something that we think is going to make us happy and then we finally realize it's never going to happen. It just doesn't produce the result that we thought it would. And when you get to that death of a dream, that is a massive thing. It's a massive thing. Sometimes it's a marriage that is not working because somebody's abusive or somebody's unfaithful. Sometimes it's a, a pursuit of a long-held goal that you just aren't going to make or you finally do get to it. You finally make it to the NFL or you finally make it to the stage with the Oscar in your hand and you just don't find that it satisfies you. I'm going to tell you, I had a lousy attitude yesterday. I'm confessing to you. Lisa called me out on a lousy attitude. We had a book launch, some flubs on behalf of the publisher and some on behalf of the marketing and PR people. It, because the date changed and all that, there were some things that got goofed up and some interviews that got mishandled and didn't get rescheduled and just a lot of stuff. And the book didn't get the big launch that it was supposed to. And my other two books outperformed it in its first few days. It seems like that's being corrected now. But but the bottom line is I got irritated about it because you work so hard to get this book out into the world and you put so much of yourself on paper and then there's some things you can't control and it comes out and you can't control it anymore. And I have this habit of checking to see what's happening with the book and there are very few metrics that we can observe in the first few days, but the ones that we were observing weren't doing what we expected them to do. And the Lord and Lisa worked on me and, and reminded me, wait a minute, did you write this because you want it to sell a certain number of copies or did you write it because you're trying to help people process their pain and 
the bottom line is what God told me about that friend is he's in control of what this book does. And the day we were launched at least and I prayed the, the palms up, palms down prayer and the palms down prayer is I'm releasing this book out into the world, Jesus, and you do with it what you will. We took care of the depth. It's deep. It's personal. It's intimate. It's powerful. It's helpful. And God's going to take care of the breadth. And he will. And I believe that. And no marketing or PR or effort on my part can make it do more than God intended for it to do. And no flub up or date change or reschedule can make it do less than God intends it to do. And so that's the release that I have to give. It's out in the world. It's just like when your kid drives off to college, they're gone and you can't really control their life anymore. You can pray and you can be hopeful, but you can't really be in charge of it anymore. And that's what's going on here. So I just said that to say this, like sometimes things in our lives will start to feel like they're creating anxiety or they're massive things that are happening and sometimes it just turns out that you need a little attitude adjustment the operation for today is the lousy attitude lobotomy i tell a story in the book i'm gonna get a thing real quick to clean my glasses i have a weird smudge on my glasses this morning and i can't see through them that's what old blue eyes there looks like without his glasses by the way if you're watching the video okay the lousy attitude lobotomy. In the book, I talk about a period of time when I had gotten a call from a, another bereaved father, Jack Phillips, who lost his boy, Robbie, to liver cancer. And I tried to help him while I was in Auburn. We had a conversation in a coffee shop, and I told that story, and I've seen the interview. But basically, Jack was really bitter. He sent me a text message one time. We were in Wyoming. Jack's not his real name, by the way, but he is a real person. But he sent me a text message of himself standing. I could see his feet, and he was standing on his son's grave, and his gravestone was there. And he sent me a text that said, my son's in the ground, and my heart's in there with him. And I just don't believe anymore what I used to believe, because it's dead in the ground. How could God be real if my son's there dead in the ground? And he said that to me, and I didn't really have a good answer for him, because that's what it feels like. When you lose somebody, it feels like everything in the world is in that hole with them. It really does sometimes feel like that. So I tell this story in Hope is the First Dose, where I got a call out of the blue from Jack to tell me that his brother-in-law, Eli, had died. And Eli was my longest surviving patient with glioblastoma. He lived a little over 10 years. And he was doing great. And then all of a sudden, the cancer came roaring back, and he died in just a couple of months. And Eli was the one that connected me to Jack in the first place to try to be helpful after Jack had lost his son. And it was only a few months after Mitch had died. And Jack called me to tell me that Eli had died, and he was back in that hole in his heart because now he, my, my brother-in-law is dead, my son's dead. I just don't. I'm having a hard time. And so we had this conversation, and I tried to be helpful, but I wasn't very helpful to him because I didn't have very good answers for him, but I tried. And then the next day, I bumped into another bereaved father who was looking out the window. In Wyoming, it was cold. It was wintertime, and the hospital actually was across the street from a cemetery, and this, I walked up, and this guy was standing looking out the window, and I said, hey, how, what's going on, Carl? And he turned, and he was had a little tear in his eye, and he told me his daughter was buried out there, and I didn't know he had lost a child. And he said, every time it's cold and I look out there, I worry about her being cold. 
And he said, it's been 20 years since my little girl died. And it was horrific. She died on an ATV accident. One of her brothers was driving, and they had a wreck right in front of the dad and crushed her little chest. And he did CPR and everything, and she just never made it. And a horrible accident that happened. And I saw, I talked to Jack one day, and I saw Carl the next day. And, and I just, over the next few days, I guess I was grumpy. I was irritated. And Lisa called me out on it. I said, what's going on with you? You're, you're grumpy. And I realized... I had a lousy attitude, but it wasn't because of anything that was actually going on in real time in my world. What I did was I made a synapse. I let Jack's pain and Carl's pain connect to a synapse that tied back to my pain over losing my son years before. And I let that synaptic connection that I formed turn into something that triggered all these bad memories. And I just got irritated. And I let my brain become a toxic environment of, of negativity. And for a few days, it affected my heart. It affected my speech. It affected my desire to work and take care of other people. It even affected my behavior towards my wife. And she called me out and she said, hey, you have a lousy attitude. You need to square that away. What's really going on? And as I started unpacking it, I realized what I had done. And here's what happens, friend. Thoughts become things. When you start chewing on something negative, even if it's a true thing, yeah, I lost my son, that's true, but I wasn't actually dealing with anything that was happening in my world, and I just let two other dads who were sad make me sad too, and then I let that sadness give me an excuse to start acting inappropriately to others and having a bad attitude, and so I just want to encourage you today on Self-Brain Surgery Saturday when things seem pretty irritable to you, when things seem to be rubbing you the wrong way and you just don't, you just aren't navigating like you normally do and you don't feel very happy, first thing to do is biopsy some of the thoughts that are passing by in your head. And if you realize that those thoughts are trending negative and, they're, and you're thinking about things that may not actually be happening in real time, then go back a step further and see if you've made some synapses around some things that other people around you have been feeling or thinking lately. And if you have, you need to sever those six synapses and you need to lobotomize that lousy attitude. You need to get it out of there because having a lousy attitude doesn't help you in any way. And especially if you're one of these folks that's prone to blowing up or some of us build up pressure in our hearts, we build up and it's like a pressure cooker and we're just building up this fury inside of us. And it feels good to blow up on somebody once in a while, to just let somebody have it. But the problem is, at least in my experience, one of the few times that I've done that, because my mom would give me a whooping if I did that to somebody when I was a kid. <laughs> She still would. Hey, mom, if you're listening, you'd whoop me if I blew up on somebody. I know you would. And that's good. But so if you blow up on somebody, in my experience, it's usually the person you're blowing up on usually isn't actually the problem that's made you so furious. It's really not that person, usually, or that particular situation. You just find some excuse when they trigger. They finally say the right thing, and you say, okay, that's it. I got to get after it. And you unload all that rage and all that emotion and all those negative, lousy attitudes. You vent them out onto this one person in this one time. 
and blow them up about something. And then you feel a little better. Why do you feel better? Because you're resetting your neurochemistry a little bit. But the problem is it's not a good way to actually feel better because it, it doesn't solve the underlying problem that you were really frustrated about. And it creates a new synapse for you that says, hey, that's a good way to get a little dopamine release is to blow up on this person. But here's what happens. It doesn't help you. It hurts you. It creates more synapses that make it easier for you to do that negative thing again in the future. And it also teaches that person that they cannot really trust you. Hear me clearly, friend. This is really important. If you teach somebody that you are willing to say hard and mean things to them when you're unhappy, then what you're teaching them is that some parts of what you say to them, they have to believe you really feel. Because most of us do it. We blow up, and then we come back a little while later and say, hey, I didn't mean that. I was just, I was in a bad mood, or I was angry, or you hurt my feelings, and, and I was scared, and I said this because of that. But here's the problem. Most of us say things when we're blowing up and venting like that that have some grain of what we really feel in them. We may be blowing up about you not taking out the trash, but we're really mad that you did this other thing six years ago, and we're just still not having healed from that. And so there's still some nugget of what we're really upset about that's in there. And when I say some of these things to you, or when you say some of these things to your child, then they have to wonder, okay, a normal person wouldn't say that horrible thing that you said unless they really believed it. And so you create a trust issue that then creates a self-esteem issue or a relationship issue where that other person may accept your apology, but they may really think that you feel that way inside. And they'll probably remember that they think you feel that way. And that's going to hurt your trust. It's going to hurt their future. And it may hurt your intimacy or your partnership or your friendship or whatever else. So be very careful with the words that you speak. As the word says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So the long arc of this conversation today is that when you have a lousy attitude, you need to lobotomize it. You need to sever those six synapses and get down to the root cause of what's making you have all that negative thinking. And if you're trying to find happiness and you're trying to find something, some way to make yourself feel better, don't treat a bad feeling with a bad operation. So blowing up is a bad operation. Developing a lousy attitude is a bad operation. Numbing yourself with alcohol or Cheetos or sex or pornography or text messaging somebody you ought not to be or gambling online or buying things and one clicking all that shopping and things that you can't afford. Those are bad operations. Love tomorrow more. And get to the root cause of what you're really suffering with so you can fix it and you can go up that staircase instead of down the spiral into the pit of despair and into the furnace of suffering. Listen, life is hard. There are massive things that happen. I've tried to give you a treatment plan and hope is the first dose for how to get some of those things squared away and moving forward in your life. But the first one you can always do is just check yourself before you wreck yourself. Just biopsy your thinking. Look for lousy attitudes. Be relentless in your pursuit of lousy attitudes and toxic negative thinking. And be very careful with the words that come out of your mouth when you have a lousy attitude because they will hurt things that take a long time to repair. And some of them may not ever be reparable. And remember, my friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And here on Self Brain Surgery Saturday, I've got one little piece of good news for you. You can start today. 
Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.